Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Glasgow Museum's podcast. I'm Harry Dunlop and I'm your host for today. Today we're coming to you from Glasgow Museum's Resource Centre in the south side of the city where I'm joined by Open Museum curator Claire Coyer. Claire, can you just tell me a wee bit about yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Claire. As you said, I'm a curator for the Open Museum. Um, and the Open Museum is the outreach branch for Glasgow Museums. So for people who don't know what we do is we take objects out beyond the walls of the museum and into the heart of communities for people who can't own or just don't access museums. Um, and we do this in loads of ways. We've got 90 handling kits that are full of genuine museum objects that the community are free to borrow and use with their groups. We've got about 20 different handling displays which are um, curated in collaboration with the community groups. And we also work um, on, on larger projects as well. So that's a wee bit about what I do in the Oak Museum. So. That, that sounds absolutely fascinating and the idea of a, a handling kit. Could you just tell us a wee bit about what some of those handling kits are? What kind of topics and things do you cover? Oh, we've got everything. We've got a football kit, we've got pub culture, we've got sports, we've got Romans, we've got folk and folklore, uh, we've got a 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s uh, kit. So they are all just full of genuine museum objects. So, so are you saying that people, we, people can actually handle and touch these objects when you get them? Totally, yeah, and they're free to borrow. You just come in for an induction, people learn how to handle the objects safely, and then they take the kits away in their car and use them and bring them back in a week's time. That sounds absolutely amazing. So how can people find out about these kits? Get in touch with the Open Museum. So um, we're, we're based at Glasgow Museum's Resource Centre. Our phone number, uh, you can get us on the website. Just give us a call and one of our outreach assistants will tell you a wee bit more about how you can go about borrowing the kits. Claire, it's clear that you love your job. You speak very passionate about what you do. Could you tell us how did you get into museums in the first place? Oft, uh, well, it's a bit of a long story, right? So I come from um, a very working class family right nobody in my family had ever been to uni right so when I was young and growing up it was like you're bright you're going to be a doctor you're going to be this and that so when it came to choosing my hires I chose things like maths and chemistry and subjects I absolutely hated right but also took French and English of course um, and I was found that I was good at languages so when I went to uni I thought right I'll study French because at least when you're in family saying but what are you going to do with that I was like well I could be a translator or I could do this or that so that was okay so I went to um, Edinburgh uni at the age of 17 I was just a wee lassie and I did not fit in at all. I was fish out of water. Um, I'd just come from doing my higher French. Now a lot of the other people, they had went travelling, they'd spent a year, you know, in France. So I was rubbish, you know, completely at my death and I hated it. Um, but then um, when, I, when, I, when I started Edinburgh, um, you, you can take an outside subject. Now, I loved art when I was younger, but I didn't take art because it didn't fit in with this plan about being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. So when I saw history of art on the list of things that you could choose, I was like, yes, art. And I knew nothing about history of art. When I told my grand I was taking it, he was like, oh, so you'll learn all about Van Gogh. And that was the artist that cut his ear off. And that was literally the only knowledge I had of art going in. So I found that I loved, when I was doing history of art, I loved the theory behind it. I could write essays and I got by okay, but nothing clicked. I was looking at art and... It was just, okay, I knew the story behind it, but I never got it. 
And I was writing um, an essay on Van Gogh, right? And I was thinking, how are his works so famous? What is it? Why are they so expensive? And I thought, I just don't get this. He's got a beautiful story behind him. I, I, I can get that, but can he see it in the artwork? So I took myself to the National Gallery and I sat in front of a painting called Landscape with Cypress Trees, I think it's called. And I thought, I'm going to sit here until I get it. And I sat for about an hour in front of this painting. And at first, when you see it, it just looks like a nice landscape. And I was thinking, right, oh, it's a landscape, right, okay. And then I went up close, went away, sat, just stared at it, stared at it, and then I began to see. You could see the thick paint, really thick and pastel, really sticking up paint, and the swirls, and then you saw the colour. Because obviously they're trees, so they look green, but they're no green. They're reds and greens and clashing. It was a very violent clash. And then the tears just started falling. And I thought, when you saw the colours and you saw the pain and you imagined him doing this painting, you could see this man was in turmoil, this man was in pain. Oh my God, this artist feels the way that I feel. And in that moment, I got it. And then from then on, everything started clicking. So that every time I looked at a painting, I really looked at it and things fell into place. It was like putting a wee jigsaw together. And that's what gave me this passion for art. Now, I dropped out of Edinburgh Uni because I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Came back, family disappointed, everything. I did chambermaid and call centres, you know, the usual stuff. And then in 1996, a job got advertised in museums, and it was Glasgow Museums, and it was for the Charles Rennie Mackintosh exhibition in McClellan Galleries. And I was a visit, a temporary visitor assistant for the nine months that it was on. And I thought, I fit in here, I belong, it's a great team, I belong in museums. And I met um, Alison Brown, who's um, one of our curators here, she actually was one of the curators for the Macintosh exhibition, and I thought, that's what I want to do, I want to be a curator. So I got a transfer to Glasgow Museums, studying history of art and not French, and then I, then I got into museums. I'd volunteer in the borough, Kelvin Grove, got my first job in the Tenement House at National Trust Property for Scotland. Fantastic wee place, learned a lot from the property manager there, Lorna Hepburn, she was amazing, she taught me so much. Went on to the Tall Ship, and then 15 years ago, the Open Museum, and I really developed this passion for outreach and working with people and communities. It sounds like me to me like you're in the perfect job then, your love of art and objects and your love of people. So the Oak Museum gives you that opportunity to work with both, yeah? Yeah, it, it really does. Um, I would say maybe a couple of years ago, I realised that I wasn't so happy in my job because what I do is, right, so you get specialist curators and you can get as passionate as you like about your subject. But because of the work I do, I work with communities. So communities will take the lead. So I'll go into the collection and say, would you like, what resounds with you? Or you've got a theme, okay, I know a part of the collection, we can work with that. But I never really get involved in the art. And I think over time, I've forgotten to look at art, which is why the project that I'm working on now, this project has sparked that passion for art again. And it's been working with a collection called the Art Extraordinary Collection. Can you tell us, I've heard a little bit about this collection when it came into Glasgow Museums. Yeah. Can you tell... Um, me and the listeners a bit about the story of this particular um, yeah. collection, how it came in and what it's all about, please. Yeah, sure. Um, have you ever heard of outsider art? No. No. Right, okay. 
Well, I'll start from the kind of beginning then, because outsider art, when I say outsider art for the listeners, I'm going to put it in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. because it needs a wee bit of explanation. So, in 2012, Tony Lewis, curator of Scottish history, was responsible for acquiring the collection for Glasgow Museums. And it basically, it's an extraordinary collection of art by this extraordinary woman called Joyce Lang. And she was Scotland's first ever art therapist. And she was a pioneer in the field of art and mental health. An amazing woman. She's retired now, but she's not really retired. She's, okay. she's, she's, she's still she's collecting. She's still, oh yes. She's got, um, doing, she's the artist in residence for the Pit and Ream Festival oh. this year in August as well. So, no, still going very strong. I won't say her age, but um, still <laughs> very strong. I'm not allowed to say her age. I don't even think I'm meant to know it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so... As it, so Joyce donated her collection to Glasgow Museums in 2012 and then it took Tony three years to catalogue well over a thousand objects. A thousand objects? Well over. I mean, I think okay. now we've got something like about a thousand and a half because she uh-huh. keeps collecting, uh-huh. saying, you know, every time you go to see her, she's like, oh, I've got this under the bed, would you like this? And we're like, ooh. So, yeah, so about a thousand and a half objects, um, fantastic artworks. So when Joyce was working as an art therapist, around, I think it was the 1970s, she acquired a tiny amount of funding to collect examples of Scottish outsider art. So outsider art, it's a strange term. Um, I suppose, well, it kind of kicked off maybe about the 1940s um, with de Buffet, who's an artist and a collector. And it's in his, he came up with the phrase art brute, which translates directly as raw art. So it's about having this raw vision, this pure vision. Um, And he believed that in order to create this type of art, you had to be untainted by society. So a lot of the artists are uh, created works in asylum spaces um, and prisons, and very much cut off from society, no idea of the art world, no idea of um, art traditions. So it was very much an inner vision and compulsive and, and, and so on. And totally free. Yes, ah, uh-huh, yeah, free, unrestrained, uh-huh. whatever. I suppose it's like artists trying to make sense of the world yeah. they live in. I suppose yeah. all artists uh-huh. do that to an extent, but this kind of outsider, it really, mm. that word outsider is quite crucial, and it's crucial in how we've kind of came to interpret it as well. And then Roger Cardinal, I think it was in the, in the 1960s, he coined the phrase outsider art. And I've got a quote here, um, and Roger Cardinal's uh, idea of outsider art says, he says, an alternative art exists. It need not be geographically remote, nor need it have a single location. It crops up in all the places where art is considered to have no place. Mm, that's extremely interesting. So it's kind of... The problem, I think, with calling it outsider art, though, is it can reinforce a boundary between what's insider and what's outsider. Who belongs in the inside, who belongs in the outside. And if you're an outsider artist, but you have awareness of the art historical world, are you no longer an outside artist? So there's lots of questions, and these debates are going on. Um, And that's why it's a particularly uh, kind of difficult Mm. um, collection um, to interpret. Could you tell me a bit, is there any particular works within that collection that um, particularly um, resonate with you, that strike you 
in terms of their story or their maker? Is there any particular works that you could tell us about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's oh there's there's so many, right? I'm going to take it right back to Joyce again, just to give the uh, the listeners a little bit of an idea. She got this tiny bit of funding. She went around all these um, asylum spaces in Scotland. She was rummaging in bins, in skips, right? She was walking along hospital grounds and finding examples of art. She, she didn't know where to start at the beginning. She was talking to colleagues. She was talking to hospital staff. She was talking to taxi drivers saying, have you ever seen anything that's extraordinary, anything that might fit this kind of label? And it started a wee bit of a gingerbread trail for her. So when you ask me what some of my favourite works are, I suppose some of the most interesting ones are she was rummaging in a skip outside um, Aberdeen Hospital. It was closing at the time. She found Victorian pen and ink sketches in that skip. Victorian! Victorian works of art that had been just been chucked in a ship, uh, in a skip. And she found this uh, little mouse... Edwardian predates Mickey Mouse, but it looks like the kind of original uh-huh, kind uh-huh. of Mickey Mouse with a long nose. It's uh-huh. a strange looking thing. Um, and it's made from felt from somebody's jacket. It's got little uh, buttons from a nurse's uniform on it. Its wee hands and feet are made from the bolsters from hospital beds. And it's got wee whiskers that are made from a brush. So who made this? We don't know. Right. We don't know. In those cases, we mm. just don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Joyce doesn't know. So has, it, has it been made as part of somebody's um, rehabilitation, as part of somebody's um, return recovery, or? We don't. I, I suppose that I mean, mental health care in Scotland has encouraged art for years and years uh-huh. and years. So it could be that people were encouraged to take up art. They might have prints in, in the wards and the hospital walls where maybe yeah. they were, you know, they thought, right, I'll, I'll, I'll make something here. But it was never um, recognised as being art. And obviously not if it, it was skipped, yeah. you know, in, in the 1970s, you know. Nobody uh, recognised this. Um, we do have works of art that we know a wee bit more about. I mean, one of the first objects that uh, Joyce collected she was uh, looking in a ward um, and there was this woman sitting there very quietly embroidering something. Joyce went closer. She was embroidering a tea cosy, right, that she'd found. So a lot of these works in hospitals, they're, um, they're, they're from materials that people had to hand in their environment. We've got an artist who used to work in, in the hospital grounds and created these magical, huge garments made out of woven grass. You know, anyway, so this woman, her name's Antonia Jabloner, and she was sitting sewing away, and uh, Joyce thought, that's extraordinary. We've got that on display at the moment as well. And she was embroidering landscapes. On the tea cosy. On the tea cosy. Now, we've got other works by her. She would use things like hospital pillowcases, hospital bedsheets, and she also did things like watercolours on... um, on paper, and the nurses were really good because they bring her embroidery thread and ask her what she needed and so on. And uh, she was actually her stories. I think another challenge with like this collection is: does the artwork stand on its own, or do you need the artist's stories? I think with any art, knowing the artist's stories is always a good thing. So, and it can help us understand. So, Antonia, she was a refugee. She came over here um, around the time of the Second World War. She worked for a wee bit, and then one day she was found wandering along a hillside in Scotland, and she got taken into care. And she uh, couldn't speak any English, 
And at that time, because the Second World War was going on or it was just over, it was really hard to get in contact with relatives. And she was very, very distressed. Um, but because they couldn't get in contact with anybody, she lived her entire life in the hospital. And so what we think is, now we don't know if this is true or yeah. not, but what we think is, is that she was tr embroidering the landscapes of her home. She, I think it was Vienna she came from, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Could be wrong there. But um, yeah, so, she, so we think that, that she might have been trying to communicate her home, you know. What an, an, an incredible um, story and the fact that it now lives in a public collection is extraordinary. It really is that extraordinary, it, yeah? It really, really is. I've got, I've got my own favourite as well. Um, uh, one of the artists, and it's, you know, Van Gogh will always be my first love. But there is an artist in this collection that gives me the same passion that Van Gogh did. Um, he's an artist called Gordon Anderson, and he's a living artist. In fact, he's a practicing professional musician. He was in the Beta Band. Um, he's in a band called The Aliens Now. I have been in touch. I'm really hoping to speak to him soon. We've been sending messages and so on. And oh my word, he's done. He he created. We couldn't collect this. It's just beyond our <laughs> collecting capacity. He decorated a bathroom entirely covered in Japanese plasticine psychedelic <laughs> feast for the eyes um, you know but we do have uh, support some portraits of the Beatles that he did using the same Japanese plaster scene and they're amazing and um, he did this little it's a, a little kind of wooden box which is painted to look like space and then it's got this little uh, rocket inside and it reminded me of David Bowie's space oddity you know sitting in a tin can floating into space but then when you look closer it's quite a domestic scene. It's called Eve Cast Out, so I suppose that should mean that she's alone in space, but for me, when I look at it, it's so domestic inside that the wee porcelain dolls inside and um, there's, you know, that the inside's been painted and to me it feels quite homely, you know, like, so she's got her own little place in space, but that's just my interpretation, but the works by Gordon Anderson really spark something in me. It's, I just see, see something and it just... It clicks. So, with Claire, me. why is this? Why is this project so important to you? Because I suppose because it's so full of hidden stories, stories that we don't know. So, in researching this collection, we can find out about um, you know what mental health care was like, what it was like to be in hospital. Um, we're working, so we've got a kind of our project team is myself. Tony Lewis, of course, um, and Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl McGeekin, who works for the, who's a lecturer uh, for the University of Glasgow. So she's got the academic expertise. Yeah. Tony's got a specialist curatorial knowledge, and I've got the outreach expertise. So we decided, you know, we want to research this collection, but some of these stories, as I said, some of the stories are completely unknowable. Yeah. So how on earth do you interpret a collection yeah. like this? You know, and especially if you think about it, we are insiders. What's the best way to do it? Work with people with lived experience of mental yes, health. Yes. Because you want to see... So Joyce was collecting, so basically it's coming to the museum, right? The museum is a very strange environment. It's cut off from all the context. It's losing its stories. Yep, absolutely. So if we work with people who have a lived experience of mental health, then we can start researching these objects and recontextualise them. What do they mean to people now? Yeah. What can, they, what can they tell us about the art? What resonates with us today? 
So we are working at the moment with the Recreational Therapy Unit of Levendale Hospital, uh, working with students from Berlini Prison, and, um, and I've been working with those groups for well over yeah. a decade now. So they were a good, uh, a, a, a good groups to work with because when you know how partners work, you know how to work, you know all the challenges that are involved. And we thought they would be great. Um, and a third, a new partner for us was Projectability, which was really, really cool because not only was Joyce Scotland's first art therapist and collective art extraordinary, she was a founding member of Projectability ah. as well. So these groups were a natural choice for us. Mm-hmm. It really connects to Joyce's life mm-hmm. and work. So what we do is, as I said, in the old museum, we take objects out of the museum walls, and this time we're taking them back into the same spaces of confinement that many of them had been created in. So what better way to recontextualise these objects? Take them back into where they were created. So what kind of things have the participants in the project been saying, the people that you've taken the collection out to, how have they been reacting to this? It's sparked off so much. It's grown arms and legs. I mean, I'll tell you a bit about this project, but just as a kick-off, Project Ability, on the back of this project, they went and get um, Heritage Lottery funding, or whatever you call it, to go and do another project researching outsider art in the UK. So they've taken this project and then ran with so it. So this has become a national project? Oh yeah, and then Levendale Hospital, they've taken up because in, in their arts, this the, the, the Art Extraordinary Collection has kicked off so much artwork within Levendale. So what we did was, so Levendale and Projectability, um, we invited um, uh, them to come to Glasgow Museum's Resource Centre and have a look at some of the objects. And they chose a long list of objects that they liked and that resonated with them. And then we did a mix of taking the objects out because some people in Leverendale um, can't, for example, they can't get out, you know, for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So we took the objects into their space. Tony, Cheryl and I, what we did was um, we also, uh, we uh, provided our experience and expertise. So we did things, we gave them object handling training mm-hmm. so that they could handle yes. the precious yes. museum objects. Yes. We um, gave them training in how to research archives. We gave them training in how to write museum interpretation. Yes. So Levendale and Project Ability each chose objects. They went ahead, armed with these new skills, went ahead, researched the collection, wrote all the interpretation and produced two new display cases within the Pollock Civic Realm, which is one of our community displays. Um, And uh, that's on display until the end of November. It's just behind Silverburn. It's on display just now. It is. So you can go and see it at uh, Silverburn. Yes, uh, just just behind Silverburn, Pollock Civic Realm. That's it, yeah. And Mm. it's in our our community exhibition space. That's a sort of community centre in Pollock, isn't it? It is. It's got a community centre, it's got a library, it's got a swimming pool, it's got a cafe, really nice cafe. You know, just cheap cup of tea, you know. Absolutely great. Um, We've run a public programme in that space that has been shaped by Levendale and Projectability. So we've also got two other members of our team as well. So we've got Sarah Wilson, who's an outreach assistant, and Sarah Leal, who is a Museums Gallery Scotland intern with us at the moment. And they're, I'm not an arty person, right? I would like to be arty, but I'm not. They've they've got artiness going on. So they've also worked with the groups. um, And together, sometimes Projectability are running sessions, 
sometimes Levendale are running sessions, sometimes it's Sarah and Sarah that are doing it, sometimes we work together and we have a monthly art session in the Pollock Civic Realm inspired by the collection for anybody who wants to join us and it's every fourth Wednesday of the month uh, so, the, so people get involved in that. But that's not all. So obviously we're working with Berlini. Now Berlini can't get out and choose mm. objects, you know, they're in their space of confinement. So what we did was, um, obviously, uh, so we wanted to create a, a handling kit with Berlini, which is perfect because handling kits can move in and out of different spaces. Yes. Displays stay where they are. And also in a display, you've got a wider range of objects that you can put there in there. You can have fragile stuff in a, in a display case. Uh, so we had a list of objects that were that could be handled you know, ran it past conservation. Obviously, they did a bit of prep work and so on. So we took quite a lot of objects from our extraordinary out and we tested it with Berlini. So we had a project group at Berlini and we told them what the handling kit was for. We asked them to think about what audiences might use it. You know, you've got really sometimes very strange works of art and you might look at it in far, at first and go, what on earth is that? So... You know, and a, and a lot of our kit borrowers, you know, it might be people in, uh, in, a, in a, an elderly care home, you know, and they see this woven square of grass, and it was actually one of the guys in Berlin, and it made me think, you know, um, and, it, and it changed the way that we created this kit. And he said, people might just see this square of grass, and I don't want this kit to look rubbish, you know. Um, but when we talked more about it, it was the artist's stories that became important, that that became the key to understanding this collection. So if you're going with somebody who's got no idea what art extraordinary is or what outsider art is, knowing the artist's story. So they decided that was important. But also logistics-wise, so one day I was going into prison and uh, I had uh, some fine art. We've got, this is going to be our first ever fine art handling kit, by the way, Harry. We've got the 90 kits full of museum objects. This is going to be our first fine art kit. We've and stuff in it, you know. Um, so um, I was taking object uh, these these artworks in, and although I'd you know done all the preparation, said what I was taking in, it was all okayed. The guy at the desk, obviously, you've got to go through security, and he wasn't going to let these works of art in. Okay. Why? Because they're framed in glass. Yes. Security yes, risk, right? So um, from that, we learned right. What we'll do is we'll re we'll, we'll reframe them with perspex. Mm -hmm. And somebody in Berlin he said. What about getting the joiners to do it in Berlin? So what they did was they created the frames and they reframed the original artworks. In Berlin. In Berlin. Um, and also with that grass square, you know, it's you know, it's straw. Every time you lift it, a bit falls well, off. And one of the guys was like, Hey, you, you're talking about taking this into hospitals, hen, you know, so you can't do that. Do you know I mean the nurses know let you because the straw go everywhere. It's not hygienic. I hadn't thought about that. So what we did was we went and talked to John, who's our technical officer, who's building the kit. So together we thought, right, what can we do? And John came up with the idea of making a Perspex box, but the touch is important. So it'll be a Perspex box, which will contain most of the straw, but there'll be a hole cut on the top so you can put your hand in and feel it. So all of this came together. So that's how the guys in Berlin created this kit that's going to go out and be used by thousands of people all over Glasgow. So what kind of things have people been saying about this project, the participants? What kind of things have they been saying? Oh, so the, the, um, oh, one of the guys, I think I've got, I've got a quote here from one of the artists from Project Ability. 
this resonates with me so much. It resonates back to that first time that I looked at the Van Gogh painting. It resonates with Art Extraordinary. And he basically said, we need exposure to our own lives and stories and to other people's lives and stories to build our empathy and compassion. Curiosity, creativity and art allows us to experience and contemplate being human. Which I just thought that just blew me away. But if you want to really hear what the guys were saying, go see the exhibition. They've written all the texts, how they've responded to it, individual artworks, as well as give an overview of what Art Extraordinary is in their own words. And projectability, I don't have the quote to hand here, um, but they've explained why the collection was called Art Extraordinary. And as I said, art uh, outsider art can be a bit of a problematic term. Now, Joyce Lang was smart. She had the smarts. She knew this, right? So she didn't call her collection outsider art. She called it Art Extraordinary. And why? Well, the exhibition text tells you. Joyce felt that the term outsider art was inappropriate. So she thought, what am I going to call it? And when she was showing people these works of art, the first thing that was on their lips was, that's extraordinary! So that's how it got the name uh. Art Extraordinary. And it really is an extraordinary collection, and I hope that anybody who goes to see it will be the same. Go, oh my word, that's quite extraordinary, <laughs> you know. Well, Claire, that sounds absolutely extraordinary what you've just shared with us today. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for today in Glasgow Museum's podcast. Remember to check us out on all our social media channels if you haven't already done so. You can use the hashtag GMPodcast to keep the conversation going. And also, if you like what you've heard today, you can follow us right here on SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Harry Dunlop and this has been the Glasgow Museum's podcast. Thanks very much for listening.